if we went by the principle that those affected by a problem should be in charge of determining the solution, then the majority of the world's peace negotiators, foreign ministers, and diplomats would be women. Gender. It influences our identity, the role we play in our society, and the way that we interact with each other. The crucial role of women in preventing conflict and building peace has been recognized. Yet over the last 30 years, 70% of peace processes did not include any women mediators or women signatories. So peace, much like war, remains entirely dominated by men. Welcome to Season 6 of the Peace Corner podcast, brought to you by CSPPS, You Know Why Peace Builders, and GPAC. The Youth Threaten podcast, the Peace Corner aims to demystify peace building by giving peace builders across the world the opportunity to share their stories. We showcase the ordinary and extraordinary nature of peace building with the belief that everyone can be a peace builder. We just need to make space. This season explores gender dynamics in peace building. So who are the people making peace buildings more equal, inclusive and relevant? How are these pioneers making gender equality the norm? Keep listening to find out. Today's episode is presented by Sarah from You Know Why Peace Builders. Hello and welcome to all our listeners tuning in today on this episode of the Peace Corner podcast. Today I'm delighted to welcome our wonderful guest, Dorsa Babai. Dorsa comes from a business and marketing background. And she's had a turning point in her life when she had a trip to India as a volunteer to work with differently abled kids. She then began her peace journey by participating in peace mentors and several other workshops. In order to understand how to effectively work with diverse cultures, she applied for other volunteer teaching projects in Kazakhstan. And she is now attending soft skills, people management courses to be able to make the best out of her current peace position as the co-director of Peace Mentors. So to kick things off for this episode, Dorsa, could you please share with us a little bit more about how you became involved in the field of gender and peace building? And also, could you tell us something about one of the best moments um, as the co-director of Peace Mentors? Well, how I became involved with this, um, actually, like I, I, I come from a business and marketing background, as you just mentioned. And let's say the atmosphere there is very different with the atmosphere that I experienced in peace mentors um, or in peace building field, basically. And how I got involved in it, well, I remember that back in 2016, I was uh, quite frustrated with all of this pressure to succeed and uh, basically to be the perfect version of yourself all the time. And I came across with this um, advertisement that said, um, like, how to be mindful and to be at peace with yourself. And I was like, right. oh my God, this is exactly what I need. So I joined the workshop and the, this was the first time that I realized that we have something um, called violent self and like violence with self. It really struck me back at that time because I didn't know that I can be violent with myself. Mm -hmm. It seemed to me that I am my biggest fan and all of this pressure is natural. So this is how my peace journey basically started, trying to build peace with myself. And then I moved on and I learned about 
um, structural violence, cultural violence, and how it basically affects our daily lives and how it's deeply rooted in our understanding of the world. And fast forward two years later, I watched a TED talk about um, seven beliefs that stop women from being, let's say, fully socially active. And there, this uh, woman beautifully explains how men basically um, stand in this bigger picture of having a society that is welcoming to fulfilling your potential. And that's the moment I realized that being at peace with yourself is beautiful and essential. Being at peace with your society and your family and your friends is amazing. But also being able to understand how different people contribute to maintaining this as a puzzle is very, very important. And that's how I actually got into um, gender trainings and became very interested in gender equality. And yeah, it just that's how it went. I, I can relate to everything that you just said. And yeah, finding peace from within is very important. But I think also being like supported, I guess, by the society you're in to practice that is also beautiful and very necessary, I think. Now, to move a little bit further about like what, why we're having this podcast, um, the main reason is because we are trying to explain, you know, what do peace builders do and why is it important that peace builders are active? And so I wanted to ask you, what do you think that people need to know about the topic of gender and peace building? And could you maybe elaborate a bit on the challenges of working in this field? I would answer this to Dorsa four or five years ago, uh, coming from a result-oriented and goal-oriented background, uh, a person who is very numerical and cares about percentages more than anything else in life. When I first came across with the title of peace builder, I was like, what do you do? Like wave white flags or like, what's the point in being a peace builder? And when I actually uh, became the co-director of Peace Mentors, um, oh my God, it's a whole process. It's a, it's a really big deal. I think it's important for people to understand that um, peace building is not a fancy thing. It actually works in the society. Like when I think about my role, we go into an organization, we ask about their challenges, we see how much of it is related to the cultural violence that is happening there. We see how we can help them with understanding the dynamics there. We have a full need assessment process. And then we customize our programs based on their need. We just make sure that we are offering a solution that matches their budget, matches their resources, matches their time. In this term, like in, in looking at it from this aspect, it's exactly like a business. It's not like you're doing something for fun or you're doing something that is like decorative um, or you're just volunteering to fill up your time. It's absolutely not like that. It's like a real business. You need to plan for it and you need to have strategies for how to promote it. And sometimes you really know, for example, an organization really needs you and you have something to offer to them that will help them work better and then be more impactful in the society. But then you really need to think about the marketing, like how are you going to shape your words so that, that they understand that a peace building activity can help them be more socially impactful. So um, I just want to mention that the challenges are <laughs> infinite, but also there is this kind of energy that makes you really, really want to continue doing it because 
you can see how it helps people and how it helps organizations, how it helps groups. And you can actually see its effect happening in the society very quickly. Um, and even sometimes that you don't see its impact um, by numbers, you can see that people will call you two weeks later and say, like, wow, the thing that you said in that workshop, it helped me meet my mom again after three years. And we hugged and, you know, like we healed our relationship. And, you know, these moments are just so meaningful and in peace building career that just it doesn't matter how many challenges you face. You just want to keep doing it. And I think it's so extremely interesting that you come from a business background, because I think when you believe in numbers, it can maybe sometimes seem as though peace building work is irrelevant, because like you said, some things you can't really measure in numbers, the things that you do, the things that you're active in. And it's so interesting to see how I think your perspective somehow like changed uh, throughout your work. And, you know, exactly, you find meaning in, in, in smaller things. And I think that's very beautiful. And that probably helps you deal with the challenges as well, because I think it's it's the small things that keep you inspired to do, to do the job. And I think um, that's wonderful. It's beautiful to see. So the thing that I personally am the most interested in when it comes to peace building and gender is the dynamics um, that are involved in gender and conflict and how the dynamics possibly shift when conflict takes place. Uh, or even after a conflict has ended. So I was kind of thinking of examples and I thought of how Rwanda is, you know, like the leading country when it comes to female politicians. Um, and also in Liberia, women were played such an important role in the peace building efforts. So what I'm wondering is, what do you think happens to traditional gender roles in times of conflict? Which I think is also just such a relevant question to ask. <laughs> Well, um, I think it's an amazing question, and I um, I can only answer from my own perspective. The way I see it is that we need to take a tiny step back and see what it means to have a traditional gender role in, in my society and in my context. So the answer here is quite different for everybody hearing and listening to this podcast. So like this for me took like a three months course to realize what it means for me to be a woman in my context, what is expected of me traditionally. And to be able to create a vision of how I would like to change it and who I would want to be, ideally, like before this training, I had no idea what I'm accepting uh, because these these norms are really subtle, you know, like you may not even notice them sometimes. And when they asked me, so who would you want to be if you didn't have these um, expectations around you? To be honest, I had no answer. But when it comes to conflict, conflict transformation and your role um, as a person, regardless of your gender, if you don't know who you exactly are and who you want to be, then you cannot take an active role. Or even if you do, it means you're kind of like, let's say, wasting your effort by not channeling it in a, in a let's say, um, in a strategized way, let's say. Um, and it's really important to just take the step back and look at yourself first. And after that, choose your core values. Because when a conflict happens, you need to understand what is driving you at this current moment. Like, um, imagine even like a very small conflict between you and your best friend. If you don't understand what exactly um, is happening inside you, like in, in nonviolent communication, we have a sentence, we say, um, we have a check-in sentence. What is alive in me? If I'm not sure what is alive in me in this moment of conflict, 
then I'm not able to transform it. I'm not able to actively take a role in it. And this is why um, I think women's role is very important because like we are a very big part of the society and understanding how effective our role is and how important our role is and how it can be improved even more than this, again, pushes me at least personally to um, reflect on who I want to be in the society, what kind of change do I want to make, and what are the prerequisites for this change? Do I need to work more on myself first and then on the society? And what tools do I need? So um, women's role is very, very big. I don't want to um, shrink that or emphasize less on that. But I also want to focus on the reflection part and on mindfully creating a role for yourself in the moment of conflict or after the conflict and having a vision of where you want to transform this conflict to and then start working on it and towards it. That was beautifully said. Your answer just kind of naturally leads me to the the following thing that I wanted to ask you, which is when we think about gender, I think most people associate gender with girls and women. And, you know, I think the the biggest idea is kind of um, focusing on bettering their roles in systems that have, you know, initially been created to work against them and to prevent them from accessing positions of power. So what I'm thinking is, you know, what is men's role in this? How can men contribute to fostering engaging climates for women to work in when it comes especially to peace building, which is what you're familiar with? Well, that's an amazing question. And um, again, I want to refer to that TED talk um, I watched back in 2018. Um, To be honest, before that, I used to have a very individualistic perspective. I was like, um, so now I know who I want to be and I'm going to go do it, be it, you know, like creative. After watching that TED talk, I realized that I may be able to achieve a lot as a person. But then um, am I facilitating the environment for my children? Am I facilitating the environment for my brother, for for other men in my life? And um, do they really understand why am I struggling so much? Because this sometimes happens. Like as a peace builder, you're struggling a lot and you're going here and there, putting a lot of time and effort. And your family is kind of questioning, like, what are you working towards? And like, what kind of change do you wish to see in 10 years? And after watching that TED Talk, I realized that if I want to be sustainable in what I do, and um, if our group wishes to actually see what we're doing expand, we really need to include, involve, and engage men. And this means we need to start dialogue and communication. Because at least in my context, let's say the, the definition of what a woman is and what a man is are so... Mm, are so deeply rooted in our minds that sometimes when we want to act out of it, it's kind of like, it seems so sudden. And people question the reason behind it. And women are not, let's say, prepared to answer. Like when they ask you, so why are you doing what you're doing? Most of the times you're like, you know, I like it. It's my passion. And then they say, so what's behind this passion? What's driving you? Like men are always so confident answering this question. Like, but women, at least in my context, are not. And it's important to start this communication and to say what we exactly mean when we say I'm passionate about this. It's important to tell them that we see this power in ourselves and we have this vision 
and we want you to help us. And it's important not to be afraid. It's really, really important not to be afraid because sometimes we are, we are expected to, um, or we are used to, let's say, being this shy person or this, let's say, um, I don't know how to put it. This is standard person, let's say. Yeah. Um, who asks for like 30% of what is on the table. And at this point of time, it's important for us to step up and ask for 50%, 60%, 70% and ask men to help us achieve that 50%, 60%. Because I think um, if we think about a more equal society, regardless of our genders, just more equal society, we need to be able to engage more members of that society. And this only starts by asking them to help you with your vision. For sure. And I think something that's very important uh, to be mindful of, I think, is that men are also part of this discussion. You know, I think oftentimes it's very easy for men to disassociate themselves from this whole, the gender talk, I think. Um, But when you think about it, men are, I think, also very much affected by traditional gender roles and expectations that society has of them. And in a way, I think that also doesn't allow them to become the best versions of themselves sometimes because you're still being put in boxes similarly to how women are being put in boxes. And as long as you don't try to defy those boxes, it's very difficult to kind of move out of that. And yeah, I don't know if you have anything else to add, but I I do have a follow-up question because like I said, men are also so important when we talk about, you know, gender. And I was thinking, and and I don't know, I don't know if you have the answer, but how do you think we can include men and other gender identities and sexualities into peace building? And how can we also better protect and support men when we're thinking both physically and mentally? And also, who do, whose role is it to take on? You know, is it again the, the the women's role to take this on, or is this something that men should de- do, even though maybe sometimes they aren't even aware that they're also being victimized in a way? Um, I know this is a big question to take on, and I completely understand if you don't have like an immediate answer, but I just think it's so interesting to have this discussion here. I would say that um, it's everyone's role. Like it's not um, limited to a person or to a gender or to a special part of the society. It's up to anyone who feels interested and who feels, let's say, that they um, they see a cause in it, who relates to this cause. And again, I think you beautifully said it, defy the boxes you're put in. It's super, super important because same way that women are not happy with some of the boxes they're put in, men are not happy with some of the boxes they're put in. And I think it's our role to give them this space to tell which boxes they don't like. And for us to be open to actually Um, allow them to put away these boxes, walk out of these boxes. Like if I expect them uh, to take me as um, seriously as a man, then sometimes maybe I need to accept um, that they want to be taken as vulnerable as a woman. Uh, These are just examples. Like I need to be able to listen besides and away from all of my biases and what I think a man should be and help them get into what they want to be. And if I'm able to do this, if I'm open to do this, I I may have failures, but if I'm willing to take this journey with them, then I think this will encourage them to take this journey with us. You know, like we all love win-win situations. And if I'm telling them that, hey, it's not just about me or it's not all about me, it's about us as a society, then it will make like the space much more relevant to 
to what we currently are struggling with and how we can move from this to an ideal or a more ideal situation. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's 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 such a complicated um a complicated issue, you know, because I think the boxes that that men are put in are also created by themselves. So to go against them is kind of going against yourself versus where I feel like women are you know, for women you're not really fighting against your own group in a way. You're fighting against I think in a way the patriarchy or whatever it is that you're fighting against, but it oftentimes doesn't necessarily come from other women imposing things on you. Whereas for men, I feel like it's men imposing things on men. So I can imagine that it's a bit more difficult to even see that it's an issue. You know, I think it, it goes, it's, it goes just way more against, it maybe feel more personal in a way, if that makes sense. So I think that's, what makes it a bit more complicated, but I, yeah, it's just so important to have men be active and, you know, allow them to also, like you said, have the space to think about what is it that you don't like and, you know, give them the opportunity to think about that, to share that and to, you know, be supported in that and respected in that, in that as well. And I think if we, yeah, this is very ideal in an ideal scenario. I think this would work out beautifully. You mentioned something about men imposing on men. Um, mm-hmm. I just It reminded me of the importance of context because a lot of times um, I hear some things that um, in a workshop, like 20 people are nodding and saying, yes, 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 but I personally can't relate to. And in mm-hmm. that moment, I kind of feel like an alien and I, I feel bad for not being able to nod with the group. So if anyone is listening to this podcast and is not nodding to men, imposing on men or anything <laughs> like this, um, it really highly depends on the context that you're living in and on the culture and on your family and on your own perspective and understanding of world. And um, so I just want to say that no matter what context the person is in and regardless of a person's gender, I think... Um, just giving this space for people to open up and unfold themselves and glorifying this because I see a lot of, um, let's say, appreciation and mystery. Let's say. So like, mm-hmm. um, I, I remember when I was a teenager, I used to see this quote a lot. Um, a butterfly is easy to see, but hard to catch. And yeah. there was a lot of uh, beauty and value in being mysterious and not unfolding yourself. And it used to kill me because I was really interested in getting to know a person and kind of learning their, um, let's say, love language, their appreciation language, their communication language. So the same applies here. I think we need to start glorifying um, the beauty of unfolding yourself and talking about what makes sense for you what works for you um how do you perceive this topic in your own context and acknowledging that um all the contexts are are like are real exactly giving the same value to a person's context that you give to another and not trying to kind of say like hey because the majority of the context says this so probably this is more valid let's just revise this narrative and say like hey as long as you're you're kind of like reflecting on your context and you're willing to unfold and share it with us and tell us how we could support you with your own narrative then it's amazing for sure I 100% agree and I think kind of what you said you know maybe some people do feel very safe in the in in the, the boxes that we were talking about and that is also completely fine like you shouldn't necessarily feel like you should you should fight something I feel that if you are comfortable you're comfortable but I think it's it's important for everyone to sort of feel comfortable um and I think 
yeah, like you said, if you open up a dialogue, then people can discuss this and see how we can compromise. I think it's always about a bigger compromise that's to be made. Um, but for sure, I think, yeah, when people are nodding and you can't nod along, it's it's definitely an alienating feeling and, and no one should ever, I think, feel that way. I think everyone's very much entitled to their own feelings and opinions. And I think, yeah, the, the main purpose of why I wanted to ask the questions that I did today is maybe to just to open up this dialogue, you know, because to me, I just feel like personally, oftentimes, as I said earlier as well, when we are talking about gender, it's it's so focused on, you know, women and girls, which is so completely valid and relevant and fine. But sometimes I feel like maybe we're also missing the part where we include men, because at the end of the day, I think for for the concept of gender to be it's at its most successful, it should include all genders. It should include everyone. And it's not just about one specific group, even though I do of course, recognize that, you know, it's just so very much complicated. It's like an onion and then it has so many layers. And uh, exactly. I know that one, one little podcast is not going to solve the entire onion, but I definitely feel like we've peeled a layer at least. And I hope that the people listening um, maybe can relate to that and also, yeah, share or join in in this uh, dialogue. Um, so Dorsa, <laughs> we're kind of coming to an end. Um, and First of all, before I ask my last question, I wanted to ask you, is there anything you wished that I would have asked you or anything that you still feel like you want to share? If not, then I can uh, continue with the, the final question that I have for you. Um, I just have this tiny thing to add. Um, of course. I think it's really important to understand that sometimes you see something that others don't. And it's important to be able to stand up for yourself and follow that path Um if peace building is not um, considered as, let's say, uh, a legit job in your context, or it doesn't seem as useful as becoming an engineer or a doctor or any other positions, but you feel something is in there for you and you have something to give to your society, to your community, to your family, to your friends, then just go for it. Because um, I think it's important that we are able to stand up for what we believe in and who we think is our best self. I think you might have sensed what my next question was going to be because you sort of answered it uh, because I was going to ask you if you have any piece or, of advice for people, you know, interested in becoming peace builders, especially for young people listening. Um, but yeah, maybe you want to add to that. And also if you have like a final story that you wish to share, anything you, you, you kind of want to share with the young people listening who might be inspired um, to also become active participators in peace building. Um, you know, or people who aren't interested, who, you know, who might now be curious, please do share. Sure. Wow. Um, first of all, the thought of young peace builders who are still doubtful, actively joining in the field, listening to this podcast thrills me. I hope they choose to do actively engage in this field. I want to say that this peace building is so fulfilling that nothing else I've done in my life has been this amazing. And I used to see this quote to teach is to touch a life. And I think um, to build peace in your community is to touch lives. And that touch is going to stay for, for like a very long time, if not forever. And I just want to say that it's important for us um, to find our own cause. Because a lot of times we see social trends, which are important because it means that there has been a need in the society to create this trend. But also it's important to find our own cause that we can best relate to. 
and see how we can contribute to that cause. And if it's kind of, let's say, um, a minority or um, a less under the spotlight kind of cause, it's still okay and it's important and it's valid. And the contribution that you make may not be as publicized as other causes, but still it's it's working. It's more about the people. It's more about the community that you're working on rather than how many people hear about what you do, at least for me. And I want to emphasize on this because in the long run, you look back and you say like, wow, I've worked with 200 people over the past five years and I can still see how what we've done together and the journey we've walked together has changed our lives. And that means more than any media coverage or any international program, although I love those and I I think they're very, very important. But also this matters as well. As you mentioned, it's like different layers of this issue. And um, the final tip is communication. Communication is very important here. So try to reach out to people who have already done this, ask about their experiences, ask them how they would have done things differently if they had this understanding that they have now when they were starting their journey. And try to make as many connections as possible because first, it helps you understand different contexts and different cultures. And second, it helps you be very, very creative with what you're doing in your own context. So if, for example, I'm reaching out to friends in different countries and see how they have faced their challenges, it helps me reflect on the way I'm helping, uh, like dealing with my challenges. And the network is really important. I think we need to support each other more and we need to be out there for each other and um, try to just be there more for each other. Like, don't be like islands who are doing peace building work um, on our own, but more like a community that um, knows each other, supports each other as much as possible. For sure. And I think the final thing that I that I could add here, uh, and then we're we're wrapping up, is you were you were saying a little bit earlier, like maybe peace building isn't a job, like kind of becoming a doctor or an engineer or whatever. And I was thinking like not to discredit doctors in any sense, but I think peace building in a sense is also a type of healing. It's a different type of healing than what, that what medicine does, but it's it's more the healing of a, of a society, of, a, of people, even healing yourself, I think. Like you said, I think peace, it probably should start from from within and then you can start spreading that. And I think it's it's just such such a beautiful thing that people uh, participate in and, I, and I'm so glad to be a part of it. And I also want to thank you so much for, you know, taking part today in this in this uh, podcast episode. Um, I hope you were able to share everything that you had to share. I loved having this wonderful chat with you. And if there's anything else you want to add, go ahead. If not, then uh, I want to, I want to thank you so much and the listeners for tuning in today. Same here. It was really, really um, amazing to be here today. And I thank you for creating this um, space and giving me this opportunity. And the last thing I want to say, it's a work in progress. Um, I think until the day that we breathe, um, the journey of peace within and um, let's say peace in our society continues. So I hope we never give up on this beautiful, beautiful cause. I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you so much, Dorsa. And again, thank you so much to the listeners. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll stay up to date with what you're doing at Peace Mentors. And uh, yeah, that's, yeah, final finalizes uh, our podcast for today. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today and for contributing to a better world. Thank you for listening to the Peace Corner podcast and supporting our initiative. 
Feel free to share this episode with people around you who you think might benefit from it. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you might be listening from.